Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode number 19. Glad to have you here with us. This is an episode that I have been... This is Francis, by the way, in the captain's chair. And I'm Robert. And I'm Martin. This is an episode I have been really dying to do for a long time, guys. It's going to be good stuff. It's going to be fun. We're going to we're going back to World War One again, sort of, kind of. Uh, and I know Robert, you're not a big fan when we do that. You say we've pummeled that expired equine enough. It, it, it's getting pretty pretty mushy. Is all it I'm is. thinking. I mean, it's fun stuff. It Don't is. get me wrong. Yeah. But it's just we, we keep we keep running into yeah we got to talk about this yeah we got to talk about this. It's hard not to because as we've talked about every time. You can't understand the 20th century without understanding World War One. Amen. And you can't understand World War One without pulling out some of these things or people. Yeah, in this case. In this case, it's going to be people, same as we did with Franz Ferdinand. You can do this overall thing of the war, but you've got to talk about these individuals. That's exactly right. And we're going to talk about the one that we probably should talk about more than any other, and that's Wilhelm, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II. Uh, and the premise of this here is going to be, was he a douchebag, as some of us might say, <laughs> or was he unjustly vilified, as others would say? And or was he both? Was he both? Oh, yes, the great Catholic answer, that's yes, for sure. Yes. Both and. Uh, I just recently read a book on this. I just finished it, actually, before we... Uh, uh, I've been reading several books on him, actually, but uh, the one that most importantly that I read recently is called The Innocence of Kaiser Wilhelm II in the First World War. It's a recent book from 2015 by Christina Croft. She actually did a series of YouTube uh, videos promoting the book and some interviews on it. And Smart I was, marketing. Yeah, very much so. And I was very fascinated by it. She's she's written a lot about Victoria, Albert, uh, their son Edward, and all those time periods through here, from the uh, from the Victorian period all the way through World War One. And she puts out forth the premise. It's not a biography, strictly speaking. It's it is an argument saying that. Wilhelm was, in fact, given far more blame than he should have had. He was not, and more, and more deeper than that, he was not what we believed him to be at all. Yeah. And that was a fascinating subject because we look back a hundred years previously, and we have been nursed on the milk of the idea that Kaiser Wilhelm was the most evil individual that ever was, other than Adolf Hitler. But we link the two together, mentally. That's not fair in either case. Because Hitler was his own issue, his own problem. And yes, I think that what happened previously led to his rise. But it's not. there's a lot more blame here. And we need to set the record straight on Wilhelm. I think history has done him a disservice. Well, I got two things for you. One, I love these kind of history books or biographies. Yeah. These are the things that I'm always looking it's for. It's a quasi biography, yeah. I guess. Take take a contrarian stance and then prove it to me. Mm-hmm. And then second, again this fits right in with Christopher Clark. That's right. What we talked about. Who also wrote Who's a book on blame. Kaiser Wilhelm. He he also and I I started that I haven't finished that, but his is one of the three books I've been reading uh, on him. His is more a traditional biography. 
uh, on Wilhelm, and it goes a little bit deeper I'll have on to that. Grab that too, you then. should; it's very worth looking at. And there's another the one, Clark stuff. Yeah, he, he's very, very good. And there's another one that I've been reading. It's it's George Nicholas and Wilhelm, the three royal cousins in the Road to World War One by Miranda Carter. Yes, I was just looking at that on Amazon. I was looking at to see how much this book costs. <laughs> it, it, it is it's 2010. These are all recent. Uh, Clark's oh. book was 2009, so these are very, very recent. Just a note for those of you who might be interested in this book. I noticed that it is on Kindle Unlimited, which means that if you have a Kindle Unlimited account, which is about ten bucks a month, mm-hmm. you can read this book for free. The uh, the uh, Miranda the Innocence, Carter. No, the Christina Croft. Book. Oh, the Christina Christina Croft, Croft is that's correct. So you can yes. get it for nothing. Basically, for ten bucks a month, you get it and. Thousands of other books. I mean, yes. cool. hundreds, I, of thousands. It's it's and it's even re, it's reasonably priced for just a standalone. If you wanted an ebook version of it too. Oh yeah, five like, and a half bucks. Exactly. That's how I got it, and uh, it was it was fascinating. It really was. It was a quick read. Uh, it didn't take me long at all. Uh, it does not get into the weeds. We talked a little bit about that at the show prep. It's so easy to get in the weeds on a lot of this stuff, and we mill a little bit maybe because you can't talk about Wilhelm without going into his background a little. So that's what I wanted to hit you on next. Yes. A bio sketch of Wilhelm's very important here. Yes, you got to know him. You got to uh, know you can't just absolve him without really working through That's correct. who he was. Uh both good and bad. And and we and intellectually we know. Of course, no one is all good or all bad. We're all a mixture of that. But the story we've been told only speaks of the bad. And it's not, and some of it is not true, quite honestly. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But some of it was exact. Some of it was taking things that was about, were that was were true about him, and paying it forward in the worst possible light. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was a cripple. He would use that word himself. Uh, he was his parents were uh, Friedrich Wilhelm, the Crown Prince of Prussia, at the time he was born. Germany right. did not exist. But he was the crown prince of Prussia. His father was Frederick. And his mother was Queen Victoria's eldest daughter, Vicky. Uh, and they were formative to him in many ways, both good and bad. Uh, he was uh, Wilhelm was actually a breech birth when he was born. And he, the process of his birth, he was the eldest, uh, damaged his left arm. Uh, it's just, it messed up the nerves in it bad. That arm never completely grew fully. He could use it. He had full use of it. But it was withered. And it was obvious. And if you see some of the pictures with him, they're, all, they're always posed in such a way where this is not obvious. Yeah, his uh, left arm's almost always hidden in photographs or, or right. any kind of official portraiture. And he, got, he, he learned to be very good at doing that, of course, because he was known to be the heir you know, at his birth. Uh, he was Victoria's favorite grandson, believe it or not. Now, he was her first. I understand that somewhat. But he was very, very, very uh, attached to her. Uh, he, uh, Victoria doted on him more than any other. Uh, well, Vicky, Victoria's uh, daughter, Kaiser Wilhelm's mother, was kind of her favorite anyway. Mm-hmm. She was brilliantly intellectual. She was uh, one of the most brilliant women and of the time, and she was also very outspoken, like her mother. Yes. Uh, yes. And F- Frederick, Wilhelm's father, was of the same stripe in many respects. Yes. Uh, and they ma- they were a perfect love match in many ways. But Wilhelm, from the very beginning, had to overcome this difficulty. He had to learn to ride a horse on his own over and over. He fell countless times because he really couldn't. But he taught himself to, based on, you know, I'm not going to be this cripple. Mm-hmm. I think that had a lot to do with his later bombast 
because he's very yes. he he comes across very dramatic in many yes. ways. This is all my reading of Christina Cross and these other books really leads me to be he was a loved child who didn't think he was loved in many respects. Yeah, and it, he overcompensated very much so um, over the arm. He again he turned the rings. Uh, on his right hand in and try to crush everybody's that he shook hands with. Yeah, his right hand was actually uh, stronger than normal because of his compensation. Compensa- and it's pretty well so, documented on that. Um, uh, he was he loved to poke fun at people uh, a, uh, a little bit mercilessly at yes, times. Yes, he could. He, he loved drama. Some of this is just his position as Kaiser. Nobody tells them no. In, in, in cer- on certain things, who tells the emperor he is wearing no clothes? That's right. Right, and they grow into bullies, and he he, 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 he became that. a bully. He, he, he had that a, a bully, he, and really, you know, that's the essential thing that that you know we've kind of skirted around. But that's a great way to put it because we've talked about all of these monarchies and and what have you, and how autocracies are where we keep running into problems. Autocracies, by their very nature, are bullies. Yes, that's right. And Mar- and he had Wilhelm had that in him. Because of his birth and his upbringing, uh, already uh, he was, and we'll talk a little bit about in another episode about his father and his mother and how Wilhelm came to the throne much earlier than he should have. He was twenty-seven when that happens. Well, and there are some other influences in his life besides his mother and father. That is correct. He idolized his grandfather correct. Wilhelm the first. Absolutely, he was a warrior king and absolutely idolized him. Bismarck is also a massive influence, not necessarily a positive one. That is not correct. Not a mentor, not a... He tried to be. He wanted to be because he knew the way the wind was blowing Bismarck did. He's got to be one of the most it, canniest yeah, politicians ever. In the end, Bismarck's for himself. That's correct. <laughs> and that is exactly right. That's, that's very well phrased, sir. So he's a typical politician. Yes, he's a very politician. So. He's in it for himself. If cozying to Wilhelm II helps him, great. If... Trying to divide Wilhelm from his parents helps him. That's great too. That's right. So he did both. That's that is exactly Bismarck right. Did both. And to Wilhelm's credit, though, this did not last long. He was a biz, his his mother was uh, totally upset with with him. He because he he idolized his grandfather to because his grandfather was ideologically galaxies apart from his father. Yes. They, and that was part of the problem. Is he in embracing his father, his grandfather? He is undermining his father ultimately and okay hold on let's before you go any, any farther with that speak a little bit more about that give us the particulars because i have the sense that that's going to be extremely important and while all of this background stuff yep. is interesting uh-huh. most of it i think is not entirely germane to where i think you want to go with this right so let's if i'm wrong tell me but i think this is going to be important the, wilhelm was very much a lover of all things German, although he was a closet Anglophile, very much so because of his grandmother. He, he was very British in many ways. He loved that. He was even made an, ad, an admiral, an honorary admiral of the British Navy as a, as a, as a boy. He was given the uniform. Wilhelm loved uniforms. He was but very much... But doesn't. Yeah. I mean, well, but he, it, he had hundreds. a very common practice against, uh, amongst all of these monarchies is you're the honorary colonel of a regiment in the sure. British Army, and then George V was an honorary colonel of a German regiment, almost certainly, and all That's that correct. kind of stuff. Yeah. All those sort of things. So there's a militaristic environment here uh, that loves autocracy. 
We've talked about this a little bit. Wilhelm embraced that because yes. his grandfather was definitely the autocrat. And you have to understand the crucible, in which we talked about this a little bit with Elizabeth. What is the crucible that forms him in his backstory? It is the formation of Germany. Yes. That because he was he was boy when this happens, and you cannot underestimate the fact that all of a sudden I was simply the heir for the Prussian throne. Now I'm an emperor in waiting. You know, this is a really interesting point because the father of your country happens to be your grandfather. That's right. So whom you know, obviously, as you said, he lived during this. This is going to be an incredibly impossible standard to live up That's to. That's right. It was, it was, so oh, this it is was going to play right. majorly into right. what goes and on. And it all came about as a result of an enormous military victory against the French with the Franco-Prussian War. Right. That's uh, So you not only have this, idol, this figure you idolize that is this pure autocrat, but he is absolutely covered in glory uh, against your... Hated enemy. Through the military conquest, it's, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. That's correct. I mean, it's and, not it's, just... and yet they were enlightened. It's very Hobbesian in many ways. Yeah. Because they didn't take over France. They weren't after that. We're going to defeat you, take what we want, and live our lives as we wish to because we are good. We are we are German. This is how we live. Watch well, us. It's probably because, again, that all... Uh, falls around Alsace-Lorraine. That is correct. Absolutely. Which goes Nobody knows which country they really want to live in. This is the whole problem with these people. <laughs> that's very much but so. That's, 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 that's very that's much it. part of the other part of the German problem, which I think is inherent with everybody alive during this time remembers when the country was unified, is Lebensraum. Living room. Living space. That's, the, that, it, it, that's going it, to be part it, of it this. It is part of that. It's not as big as it would eventually become, only well, because... yeah, because yeah, this is going to keep growing over that's time. That's right, and it, ultimately the strategic look at it is exactly right. At this point, though, they're so concerned with building themselves as a major power. See, they're the infant here against these true. others, all these others on the stage, and they're better in many ways than some of their rivals. The British take, and I think this is key, the British take very dim view of them very quickly because they're actually beating them. Britain considers themselves the greatest power on earth. Nobody can dare rival us. And Germany comes very close. Their industry is better. Their innovation is better. Their economy is better. They're actually far forward, far more forward thinking, and this is under Wilhelm, for t taking care of the people. And that brings them enormous dividends. Britain is still very aristocratic in their thinking here. It's not about that. It, Victoria yeah. changes that some, but yeah. it's it. That's because revolution, which is essentially what happens when you create a country, mm -hmm. it's a it's it's a revolution or a rebellion. In this case, it's a revolution because it united these these factions. But doing that, you spark something, it, yes. and when that happens, you have something that just has never happened before. Whereas England has been around at this point for not quite a thousand years in the form we would call it today, but really even longer than yeah, that. Right, yeah. Uh, and so they're pretty well set in their ways, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, of course they're going to be jealous. Yeah. That's why the British, even up until the time of the Civil War, one of the prior episodes we talked about, was conflicted about what to do about us. You know, we spoke the same language. We are their, literally, their cousins. And yet... Because we were a vibrant economic nation. Oh, the yeah. British thought the same thing about us, too. They right. wanted no rivals. Well, yes. Because uh, you know. when you're the top dog, 
Rivals are not allowed. That's exactly, <laughs> and that is ultimately where a lot of the vilification, I think, of Kaiser Wilhelm goes. Uh, and uh, Wilson was part of it uh, in many ways. Uh, but only Wilson, once he... Once Lloyd he, George. And, and yeah. Clemenceau. Yeah. The, the British had a full-on propaganda department in World War One. That sounds bad, like we were talking about in the show prep. Propaganda sounds like a bad word. But it was not quite that at the time. But they had 100% control of the press at this point. And the message that they put out, they built the image of Kaiser Wilhelm that still persists to this day of being this power-hungry madman who is out to kill your babies and take everything from you. The Hun's coming. The Hun is coming. That's exactly where this comes from. And that's not quite fair. Yeah. Uh, there was plenty of uh, atrocities in the war on all sides. Uh, Belgium was actually not quite as bloody as all the stories would make because anything that showed the Huns in the wrong light was reported and anything that the British did bad never got. Right. It, and realistically, that's nothing new. That was going that, on that is correct. before is, Caesar. But it was very, but it has been taken to a level of efficiency right. here yeah. that is absolutely scary. And that's kind of what my whole premise oh, no. on this is. That's just mildly disturbing <laughs> today. That is, is correct. absolutely well, scary. And that's kind of I the mean, whole reason for this discussion right, is to I realize agree. the power of information. He who controls information yeah. controls the world. Justice falls by the wayside very quickly, and Wilhelm is just an easy example of that. As I said earlier, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that uh, you, it's always easier to focus people on a single evil entity. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what they did. You have to personify it. And Exactly. They made, they made Wilhelm personified in order to keep the war effort going. And then you st like we make that jump. Well, you see exactly where Orwell got it. Yeah. The two minutes hate and and Emmanuel Goldstein, you focus people's hate on something. Um, well, know, let's it face is. it. Humanity, for all whatever inherent goodness we might be prone to, we're also prone to a fair amount of darkness That's right. if we let it happen. Yes. And love and hate... You know, they're not entirely opposite because people will tell you, you know, the opposite of love is just total, I don't care, whatever happens to you, you know. Apathy. Apathy. Uh, but it is much easier to focus that negative because, let's face it, we're all concerned about our own problems. Mm -hmm. And when we are, it is so much easier to say, well, that's somebody else's fault because it can't be our fault. We're good people. <laughs> and if that's the case, when you start writing that nationally, mm -hmm. that's yeah. when you get... And what's really scary is, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, depending on which side of what political aisle you're on, you can say this about both sides of Absolutely. Our, our national yeah. arguments today. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, I think we it's learned so easy it, to focus the hate. We learned it here. I think I think we learned it here. I well, think generationally, it's it's been with us forever, as you said, but it was refined to a powerful point here. And I think, uh, you know, as we said earlier, the reason that Joseph Goebbels, Hitler saw, saw the whole propaganda necessity thing, he saw it as a necessity, was because, you know, because they got smacked by it uh, the generation before. Well, he probably also realized there's no way in hell I can do this without pre-selling it yes. and, that's and kinda, setting the stage. That's kind of my whole premise for this. The evil of propaganda tr teaches us as a species to do terrible, inconceivable, horrible things and like it. 
That's what we did here. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened yeah. here. Is uh, and I and I and that's one of the reasons the war went on for so long, is because once you're in it, nobody is willing to say I want peace. You can't make peace with the devil. That's right. Oh yes, that, that's excellent. Excellent. This, this war should. Yeah. This, this war it's, is probably the greatest we can't atrocity. Back down now we're fighting. Well, we're fighting evil and carnal. Well, I mean that we're discussing at the moment. There's plenty, but yeah, know, I was gonna say that. Uh, come it's, on. An, it's an easy one to see. It's it, an easy one to to recognize. But at the same time, I'm gonna give you an instance in Wilhelm's life that made him easy to turn into the devil. Oh yeah. Oh, he did himself no favors at many times. Yes, I, he was pompous. To the point of being ridiculous. And to me, the, the central uh, event in his life that is instructive about him, and it is, to a degree, it is blown out of proportion. Yeah. Um, but his mother was the one doing the blowing out of proportion. Oh, yeah. But his father only lived to be in his 50s, Frederick III. He had esophageal cancer. When Frederick took over the throne, he was already dying. Right. He only lived for 90 days. Oh, wow. After, or 99 days. 99 days. Like, yeah, 99 days. He was only on the throne 99 days. That's why he's completely forgotten, basically, the history. The Some story, reason I was he was longer. Okay. Yeah, the story is Wilhelm hovered over his father not out of concern but when am i going to be kaiser that's right when am i when and is his it? mother picks all this up yeah. and writes to her mother victoria who's still living and those are all the records we got yeah you know christina you croft said. talks about this she says very clearly this we're getting a very very biased emotionally stilted portrayal of what really happened here it was and and she does a good job in laying it out saying that we we are we are kind of peeking into Vicky's head on all this, and that forms our narrative. It's not quite true. All right. So well, but we don't know it's not true. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Go ahead. So let's circle back here for a second to your original premise: douchebag or unjustly vilified? Because I want to take that and build on something you just talked about: pompous to the point of being ridiculous. Right. Now we've talked in world in our World War One podcasts about the major powers, uh, although yes. Austria-Hungary at this time, not quite major in the, in the sense of Russia, Germany, and England. But these are the four monarchies that really are tied up in all of this. And three of the four don't survive. Yeah. Right. And I put it to you, the three that don't survive are the most pompous to the point of being ridiculous. Yes. I ah. think there's something there. Yeah. Because you can I make an argument. Surrounded, sir. Yeah. I, I think that douchiness that we've uh, good word. been talking about, uh, that is tied into all of this. Yeah. Now, the English monarchy, it's already had its am I gonna be a douchebag and or you know and and be an autocrat or am I gonna you know back off and we're gonna work with the people? Because they've gone through that. They did that with John and the Magna Carta. They did that later with Charles II, and he lost his head over it. Right. And so their monarchy, maybe because they were on an island, I don't know, but their monarchy managed to evolve to the point where it was not 
it was just didn't it have was, the opportunity it to was be the still douche- adaptable. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't have the opportunity to be the the douchiness that these other three did because they didn't have the power anymore mm-hmm. that yeah. those guys did. Exactly. Yeah, autocracy breeds insulation, and that it, it reaches a tipping point in during World War One and all these yeah. other places that they are. We talked about this earlier. They're so insulated and separated from their people and what's really going on that they push themselves into irrelevancy very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicholas was a bathtub toy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's very well put, sir. So right I think we we you know we've we've hit all of these biographical sketch things. Um, again, my position is uh, he could be a huge douche, but I think you're on to something as far as Exonerating him yeah. to a degree with war blame, and I know that's where you wanted to go. I do, I do. And, I think and again, he... I've already staked out a position that the Germans aren't to blame that much for the war at all. I yeah, mean, we, we talked about that in many respects. At the beginning, Kaiser Wilhelm was known before the war began as the Apostle of Peace. He's the one guy who's crying out, and maybe they're not listening because ultimately they didn't. Yeah, because he tries to convince the Austrians don't mobilize. He tries to convince the British don't mobilize. The Russians, etc. And Nicholas tells him, okay, fine, we won't, but they do it anyway. Yeah. Because he doesn't have any control. It's, it's, it, they want people, too many people wanted this. Mostly it's the Austrians at this point. Uh, if, you, if you go back and look a little bit about that, they were, the, they were the powder keg. They were the ones that really couldn't be, couldn't, wouldn't behave. The ultimatum was not constructed with German input. Correct. They, it was all on their own. Basically, the Austrians says, as long as Germany's got our back, we're going to go do what we want to. We're going and, to push this all And because the, the alliance system, Wilhelm, would, he, would, he couldn't, this is a little bit of his own honor code building in, he couldn't, he couldn't break his word. Yeah. Well, and that that's, goes back to something I was talking about during the show prep. Uh, we were talking about how would you have avoided World War I. The very first thing you got to do is do something that nobody was willing to do, which is get rid of all these damn treaties. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that's the, alliance, the word. The alliance system, exactly. That's the word that he could not break. That's right. And that's part of the problem, is that all of these douchey people <laughs> are locked into this... Circular firing squad? Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It is. It's, cir- it's a circular firing squad. And that one little spark... Yeah. So all the alliance systems were a suicide pact. Yeah. Ultimately, it is the Judean people's front. Of, the people's front of Judea. No, Judean people's front. Crack suicide squad. Yes, that's what we're talking. About. Well, and you and you think about it, because technology had advanced to the point where you now could wage war in a way that you know in a masses on a massive scale. You could move tens of thousands of troops across hundreds of miles in a couple of days. That's a massive change. Yeah. You know, it was no longer, this is the army I've got, and I'm going to take and we're going to fight a battle, maybe a couple of battles. It truly is now a war. Mm-hmm. And really, when you think about it, this is probably, because even the Civil War, which is really w- what we would consider one of the first modern wars, was not the same kind of war. Civil War yeah. was a series of battles. World War One was the first War. Continuous, nearly Con- continuous Nearly battle. continuous At least battle. Battle. One, in one and theater. The, yeah. the military understood this, but the people and the leaders did not. Well, I don't know that they understood it in the sense that uh, yeah, war has they changed. changed. They, didn't, they, didn't they, they, they thought they did. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think no they way. went to it with the same mindset. Well, you know, this should be over quickly. You know. Yeah. But things had changed, and that's what makes the alliance system a suicide pact. Because once you begin, you have to finish. There is no uh-huh. get in. For honor's sake, we skirmish, we fight a little bit, and we trade some territory. That that's yeah. impossible now. Yeah. And then when you add in the propaganda part, mm-hmm. now you've completely demonized someone. Right. And again, you can't make a de- you can't make peace with the devil. He has to be destroyed. Right. That's, uh, yeah. That's ultimately the change here because ultimately World War One, from the German perspective, was not about territory. No. It was about, it was about self-preservation. Yeah. And part of this is the way that the, the map lays out is you've got Russia on one side, France on the other side, and Britain working as well, uh, controlling the seas around you. They they were pinched. Once right. that's it why is, it is, it, that's and, why and, once war was inevitable. Yeah. When when even though Kaiser didn't want it, he said, "Well, you know, we don't have a choice. We have to attack yeah. now." Yeah. And that's, and that's what very leads. formative on Wilhelm too. Yes. Is all this sense of constriction around? And it was not, enemies on every side. And he has reason to fear this because yeah. Britain has been has been beating him up at every opportunity. France too, but mostly Britain has been really. Just absolutely smashing them at every opportunity because of their success. Yeah. There's a, there's a there's a bitter jealousy between the British for the German success, and Wilhelm articulates this quite often, yeah. and he's not wrong. Uh, and that's what's that's what he realizes. Well, you know, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna come and destroy us. We have to. We're pretty good at what we do. We're gonna have to go and strike them first. The and Brits and the in the in the Krauts to to use the terms. Yeah. Limeys. The Limeys, there we go. The Limeys and the Krauts. It's going to be pejorative. Yes, yes, be pejorative the li- all the way around. The Limeys and the Krauts. They had the just Huns. an Limeys odd, and the Huns. They have such an odd relationship mm-hmm. that has gone back and forth for centuries. I mean, essentially, the ruling family, we've talked about this, the ruling family in England are Germans. That's right. I mean, obviously, there's been enough intermarriage where they're not fully German anymore. Right. But they had to change their name, for God's That's sake. Right. In yeah. this war. And they basically became the rolling, ruling family in Germany, which was partially English. Right. So, in a way, this is, in some ways, this is very much a family squabble because yeah. all the heads of state are related to begin with. But even British, the British and the Germans are very much, inter- and they just have this odd relationship. It's very much a, damn, I hate those bastards because I'm related to them. In, in, it's in a many big ways. brother, little brother that yeah, the little brother they're, is succeeding. They're both very envious of That's each other. Very much so. That's right because they're Wilhelm, not supportive of each other. It's the prodigal son. It, it, well, you know, you're exactly right. That very much is that uh, because Britain is the older brother who has all this stuff, and Wilhelm, the little brother, wants to have this navy like his you know older yeah. brother does. Our place in the sun too. That's right, and he's and he's very good at it. The Germans are very efficient. They they're not colonialists, except late not to yet, the because they this is that's the kind of late thing. to the game for them. Yeah, and they, it's only I mean, they are by this time, but that but, is something but, they've come but to even, late. Yeah, and even so, they're not really. They only want the stuff that comes with it, but they're well, not after the prestige. There wasn't a whole lot left for them well, to colonize. Part of it. <laughs> well, it's and it was because it was it goes back to their mindset on this. The only reason they want colonies is because everybody else has them, and I'm shut out. Well, it's what an empire does. It's what a modern nation state does, and they are brand new. So they have to get the trappings of a modern nation state. It's like a Kardashian buying a Chanel purse. It's, it's what you got to have. Well, probably not that, but yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty well put yeah. too, sir. So one or, of the things, or that, a new football player buying a hundred ninety thousand dollar watch and wearing it during the game, exactly, is what yes. you got to do. It's what you got to do. So one of the things that I forget which one of you said, but 
um, so it goes back to both. So it's a circular firing squad, mm -hmm. and the alliance system is a suicide pact. You know what this is? What we have essentially come up with. World War One is the first playing out of MAD, mutually assured destruction. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. That's exactly That's what it is. That's what they got to. Yeah. That's yeah. Right, correct. I mean, we call it MAD nowadays because, you know, it's, it sounds much better to call it that. But essentially, it is the nuclear Cold War system it's, it's the nuclear that actually happened. It's the nuclear option before a, there were nukes. Yeah, yeah. It's the naval Cold War. Yeah. It's what they, what they ended up calling it. Um, but here, I don't think we're doing a good enough job exonerating... Your man. Well, that's probably true. We are probably failing we, at we, that. We've probably went down many engaging holes here that we yes. love. Right. And I, but you really wanted to get to a point of, again, there are a lot of things to dislike about Wilhelm. I, that is correct. I'm not going to exonerate his personal behavior. Not at all. To a large degree. But as far as blame for the war... There's no question. And I think here's, and it goes back to what we've been talking about, the whole circular firing squad idea, is the fact that the, the, the militaristic mindset that was not unique to Germany, but it's all of us. Uh, Rudyard Kipling says it very well. And you know the story of Kipling and his son, uh, John. Yeah, who died, John who, Kipling. He, he dies at the Battle of Lusens in 1915. Yeah. And he shouldn't have gotten in, but Kipling, who has friends in the government, gets him in. And he dies, like, immediately. Like, first first out of there. Yeah, Kipling first, never yes. recovers from this. He lives for another 20 years. And Kipling was a big proponent of British imperial power up to this point. That one moment crystallizes for him how wrong he really was. Yeah. And in many respects, it's a great watershed moment to look at and say this is exactly the, the awakening that happens on the world stage by the people of all these countries, not just England, not just America, not just Germany, but all of the companies, puts down into this brief little stanza that he wrote. It's called The Common Form, and he wrote it right after this. And he says, and we've heard this before, we've watched... Uh, uh, Professor Holmes's Western Front. You might remember that from a, quite yes. a few years back. He ends one of the episodes with this. He says, If any question why we died, tell them because our fathers lied. Part of that means I should not have been doing this to my son, but mostly it's saying we were wrong to think war was so great and so yeah. amazing a thing. We have discovered that war is truly hell, as Sherman would say. And that's kind of the whole tragedy here is if we had just seen war for what it really was corporately, all of us, then World War One truly would not have happened. And that's kind of what, that's why Kaiser Wilhelm gets vilified for that because we cannot stand, nobody can, that we were wrong. Yeah. So somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay. And we had, they had the tools then to do that, to make that happen. Yeah. 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 Wilhelm paid for the sins of yes. Ludendorff. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to, if you want to shift a lot of blame for Germany's conduct during the war, mm -hmm. it's not Wilhelm. That's correct. Will, again, like Nicholas, Wilhelm ended up a bathtub toy as well. He ceded almost all of his authority to Hindenburg and Ludendorff. It was Germany, kind of smart on his part because he didn't understand it, and yeah, he knew by, he didn't understand it. By the time it. you get to 1916, 1917. Germany is a military dictatorship. Right. With Ludendorff and Hindenburg controlling all facets of German life. Because what they ate, 
where they went, what they heard. Because it's the only way to survive. Yeah. Because well, they, they were nearly starving by the end of the war anyway. exactly yeah. right. They had to do that. And, yeah. that's, and that's one of the reasons for the unrestricted submarine warfare and all that stuff like that. And American neutrality, which was a complete myth because we were not even that. And we weren't the only ones. Yeah. And, and you mentioned this, too. That Wilhelm thought unrestricted warfare a bad idea. He knew it was eventually, uh, it would lead, because he understood the concept of propaganda. Yeah. Uh, Hindenburg and Ludendorff probably did not. They're worried about winning the war. That's why it's, the system was supposed to work this way. He's supposed to say, no, wait a minute. The world will hate us for this. Really? That's the way it should work. That's right. The experts execute the policy. That's right. Whereas He's, the leaders yeah, said and, it. And Wilhelm ceded the policy. And so to that. Well, he was, he was pressured into it because he, yeah. there's that little boy again. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes he's willing to, uh, to to draw the line and stick to it, but he's not consistent yeah. with that. He well, saw the two of them just like he saw Bismarck. That's right. Yeah. He he, he could, it, it, Wilhelm is far more a complex individual. You cannot simply dismiss him to say, well, he was incompetent like Nicholas. Yeah. He was very competent at times. The problem is going but not to, always. The problem is going to be not some not entirely whether or not he's competent. Part of the problem is going to be how others are going to view him. And I have to think that at this time, coming from that background, that what we view of as a militaristic background, mm -hmm. that somebody with his deformity in his arm is never going to be taken seriously, even by those that, ru that he is ruling, because he's not seen as a full man. There's a, there's a degree I think that. that's, I'm sure there's going to be a I'm lot sure of that. I think that's I, got a lot of that. His advisors went around him as often as they possibly could. And really, weren't we seeing this already in the three douchey autocratic systems? Mm -hmm. Nicholas was weak because he let Rasputin come in mm -hmm. and influence things. He lost control. He, the, the women in his family had a lot of influence, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the... the uh, in the Austrian situation, we had something similar going on where, and, I, and I'm blanking here, what was... Franz Joseph the, 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 was the emperor. Yes. And his uh, Franz Ferdinand, of course, was his heir. Uh, right. But it was Karl Franz, his other nephew, that became emperor when Franz Joseph died in 1916. Right. And part of, yeah, part of the problem there was he was so old, too. Correct. Well, so he, he there's going to be a little bit of, he's an old guy, we don't need to listen to him. So there's going to be a little bit of that, I think, going on in all three of these places. Yeah. But you were grasping for someone else in, in Austria that was... Yeah, it seemed like there was somebody else that, that was seen as weak and not a worthy leader. And I'm uh, and maybe I'm misremembering this because well, I'm totally blanking on that yeah, right now. No, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's anybody like that. But there is just that... We talked about this guy. The one guy in Austria banging the drum constantly for war with Serbia is Hotzendorf. That's correct. Mm -hmm. There's, I think that's who and you're looking for. If you want he's to lay not a lot of blame. necessarily a weak leader, but he is. I mean, I think we talked about the, his weird story of his wife dies, and he attaches himself to someone else's wife. That's what I'm thinking of because and begins an affair with her, and it's really bizarre, and it ends up being where the woman he's with, her husband, is an industrialist. And so now he knows he has the army chief of staff by the short and curlies. Right. Actually, he's, you know, he's got all his stuff on the side, so he doesn't care about his wife. There's he uses that. it as an entree to get contracts. And the the guy who eventually took over for Franz Joseph, he ended up hit. None of his heirs were going to be in the succession. Maybe Franz that's Ferdinand. what I'm thinking of. Because again, 
that's going to be problematic for those because what's There's the point? There's a vacuum after Franz Ferdinand. Right. That's so, correct, which becomes an enormously larger issue once he's assassinated. So right. there's all those So things. all of these things, all of these leaders that end up not surviving yeah. uh, as leaders, you know, well, obviously, obviously Nicholas doesn't survive. Uh, there are issues with them, I think, because of how they are viewed. Mm-hmm. And those are the easiest to vilify. So I, I'm willing to bet on the English side, there's going to be a little bit of this prejudice against him, not just because he's German, he's the enemy, but... He's an easy target. Well, yeah. yeah. Autocracy makes it easy to find a target to go against because you've yeah. only got one guy at the top. Well, not even that. You but I mean, know. being this half a man thing, I, yeah. I, I think this is going to subtly play into a lot of this. So I do think he's a, he's a, he's a douchebag because I think they were all douchebags. I think mm-hmm. even the guys on on the Allies side are a bunch of douchebags. Yeah. Clemenceau could be a the short sighted myopic. Yeah, uh, Lloyd George could be very myopic about all of this too. You, but I think you're on the side. The yeah. greed is enormous here. Once they, once they, it becomes it becomes a shark fest. It becomes a battle for blood. Sharknado. That's right. That's what <laughs> yeah. we're after because they they recognized once they got into it, we have the ability to make a hell of a lot of money and get a hell of a lot of territory and put ourselves into into power on the yeah. world stage forever. We are taking out a rival of ours, and they will not come back. <laughs> so they think. Yeah, so they yeah, think. So they think. So, you know, I think the question, obviously, if we ask the question, we already relatively know the answer. Of course, the loser is going to be unjustly vilified in this. I mean, he does have a personal uh, piece of responsibility because let's say, he's still the leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, And he didn't stop it. And he didn't stop it. Now, whether or not he could have, that's something else. Yeah, I know. But yeah, I don't believe it. he still has to bear some responsibility. Yeah. I think he's he's he is it is wrong for him to get all the blame that he gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that does come through. I think even in what we do learn in our in our history classes, although granted, it's been so long since we sat in a history class. I don't yeah. know what they're teaching nowadays. Yeah. So they even teach this stuff anymore. But it is definitely, he, you know. You could look at the South and, and the North in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, it there people argue today over who was right, who was wrong, what the war was about. Yeah. Um, and who bore responsibility for this, that, and the other thing. At the time, John Brown was a t- domestic terrorist. Yeah. But once the war starts, it becomes about slavery. Well, you know, he wasn't such a bad guy. He was a saint. <laughs> yeah. In, in certain circles. Uh, and he was, the, he was the devil in others. Right. So... It, all of a lot of this depends on which side you're on when you're looking at it. Now, hundred years later, it's a lot easier for us to come back and look at it with a little bit more of a um, yeah. uh, 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 impartial eye. Yeah. But and, it, it, it becomes difficult to draw a line between relativism and some kind of absolute moral judgment, right? Well, and you're that's exa- very good. That's very good. That's nice very good. one. Nice one. Liked his injury. I liked it. Uh, and, and I can tell you for a fact, one of the things that really makes this so tragic, for all the other reasons of tragic, that itself, we 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 get the whole World War II, we get the whole Hitler, we get the evil, and all that sort of stuff like that. Churchill himself said in 1945 that the greatest mistake the Allies made in the Treaty of Versailles was to insist on the Kaiser's abdication. Abdication, because he believes, and this is after this is 40, 45, This is after the war. If Kaiser had stayed in power, Hitler could never have risen. And boy, doesn't that send that's a true? Chill but down you know, your bones. I, I think that you could have also insisted on his abdication. I think that wasn't the 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 biggest thing. I think the biggest thing that led to Hitler 
was the punitive terms as far as reparations. Oh, yes, that's correct. That's, that is a far bigger thing because well, the, if you have a Weimar Republic that is not economically crippled, that alone could prevent it because, let's face it, he came up with, through being dissatisfied with what was going on. Economics drives so much. Yeah, that yeah. was part of it. Yeah, the Allies did themselves no favors in either thing. You're right. absolutely right. Put them together, there, and it's almost there inevitable. Is a, there is a kernel, though, of where the Germans do deserve the blame. Yes. And that's... They lied to their people about losing. Yes, that is true. They yes. they never really owned up to they lost. There was always this. We were stabbed in the back. We were stabbed. There was that That's whole Jubal right. early lost cause transplanted to, you know, our armies were never beaten well, in the field. We were stabbed in the back by the home We were front. never in, never invaded. And, and it was an armistice. It was a ceasefire, not a surrender. Yeah, it was the Jews were to blame. For stabbing us in the back. Which yep. is the same thing over again. Yeah. You have to find a scapegoat. Yes. You have to find somebody to blame. Just as the winner cannot make... At first, they, you know, they get to write the, the history, but just as you cannot make peace with the devil, you cannot admit that you are the devil. Yeah. Oh, that is good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. You have to have somebody else to blame. All right. Because it, that's just human nature. I think I said it earlier. Yeah. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Well, guys, we're at 45 minutes. I wondered how far we were gone. I know. We I knew we were over. Go. I said, well, I'm just going to let us blow right through 30 minutes because there's just so much here. It's so good. It's. Did we answer your question? Yes, we did. Do we at and least of course, to a degree exonerate The answer to the Wilhelm? question is, is, Will, is Kaiser Wilhelm a douchebag or unjustly vilified? And, of course, the answer, which we knew from the beginning, yes. is yes. It is, yes. <laughs> it is both. Yes, it's both. That is it's correct. Both. And we can, be, we can bemoan the fact that it is both. Yeah. Uh, but he, as he said, he did himself no favors personally. Is, is it Jungian? Is it, uh, is it the duality of man? Uh, I, th I think we could make that claim. Okay. That's very much so. That's correct. Very nice. Very I'm nice. stealing something from uh, Full Metal Jacket. And hey, speaking of <laughs> metal, that I've ever studied where's the big metal hoopajube in all this? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take a, a nice slurp of my Elijah Craig bourbon. Here, okay. here. Elijah Craig small batch here on the shelf and uh, it's pretty darn smooth. Uh, so I think we answered your Nothing question. Nothing better than a smooth bourbon. Yeah. End of that. Anyway, I think I cut you off, Francis. What, do you, what else do you got to wrap no, this I th up No, I think, I think we've got it. We have pummeled this expired equine <laughs> uh, quite a bit. So what's up next? So do you want to say what's next? Or yeah, because it's be, the reason it, we should, because yes. it's kind of a part two in many respects. Exactly. Yes, because we're going to talk about, we've talked about Wilhelm, we've talked about World War One, and talked about avoiding it and what could have happened. We're going to kind of take a step two, three steps backwards, and continue this discussion in the next episode, we're going to talk about Friedrich, Friedrich III, Wilhelm's father. And now, that 99 days, could if it, had not, if it had been a long reign, what would the world have looked like? Now, this is going to be Martin's episode, Martin's right? Gonna, yep. Martin is going to narrate right, this one. one. And we're going to kind of basically try and see that if we've kind of said this is what happens with, with Wilhelm, what do you do if you remove him? And put in his place someone that's very different. We'll get into that in the next episode. Don't miss it. It's going to be real exciting. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. 
Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. Yeah.